Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Welcome back to Euronet Plus Panorama. My name's Joe, and this week I'm going to take you on a whistle-stop tour of the European Parliament's plenary session in Strasbourg. We'll drop in on a host of debates on topics as wide-ranging as terrorism, football, migration and money, with news snippets provided by member stations across the bloc. On Tuesday the 22nd of November, the European Parliament marked the 70th anniversary of the creation of the Common Assembly of the European Coal and Steel Community, the precursor to the European Parliament we know today. In her speech to mark the occasion, Parliament President Roberta Metsola celebrated the fact that the European Parliament was the only directly elected, multilingual, multi-party, transnational parliament in the world. In an interview with RTBF in Strasbourg on Tuesday, Metsola said that although the European Assembly has gained in competence progressively over the years, it's still not able to initiate legislation something that she hopes to change. On a um, pas encore le droit législatif d'initiative on a le droit pour, um, uh we don't yet have the right of legislative initiative. We have the right of political initiative. We do a lot on that, for example, on media freedom, on the protection of journalists. If we had not drawn up a report, the Commission would not have made the proposal that we have on the table today. And I'm doing my best to at least make a discussion possible. And this is important. But when we talk about the treaties, when we talk about areas where member states still have competence, we can shift things a little. If it were not for the work of the European Parliament, we would not enjoy all the powers that we have gained so far. But we do have these powers and we must use them. The EU's High Representative, Josep Borrell, has denounced as cruel and inhumane Moscow's renewed wave of attacks against Ukrainian infrastructure, highlights S-Radio. These latest attacks have caused mass blackouts, not just in Ukraine, but also in neighbouring Moldova, leaving millions of people without water, electricity or heating. On Wednesday, the European Parliament approved a resolution that falls short of calling Russia a terrorist state, but instead labels it a state sponsor of terrorism that uses means of terrorism. Semantics, eh? The final draft was a compromise between the texts proposed by the European People's Party, Renew Europe and European Conservatives and Reformists groups and did not please everybody. But Bulgarian EPP member Eva Maidel defends the resolution in an interview with BNR. In the last nine months, Putin's regime has really turned everything into a weapon against Europe, whether it's gas, oil, grain or Russian civilians. What we've seen in the last nine months of his regime is a real dismantling of civilian infrastructure. This is why, from the European Parliament's point of view, the precise wording of the resolution and exactly what is called is not so important. The important thing is to say that what is happening here is real terrorism, that this is a terrorist state. It is indeed serious to use these words, but this, I believe, puts an end to the Putin regime's narrative that Russia is some kind of democracy. Although all of the main political groups voted overwhelmingly in favour of the resolution, all of Bulgaria's socialist members voted against it, 
saying that the wording effectively closed the doors on a diplomatic solution. Other critics, including Estonian Renew Europe MEP Jana Tome, who abstained, stressed that there is no legal framework in place for such a designation, so the cart is being put before the horse, so to speak. The point is that the use of these terms is very confusing. The title of the resolution was State Sponsor of Terrorism. When we talk about sponsors of terrorism, we are talking in US terms. They also have corresponding legislation in place. If they had declared Russia a state sponsor of terrorism, concrete steps would follow. In our case, nothing will follow. The resolution calls on the European Commission to develop some kind of framework for how to act in such cases. My opinion, and that of my colleagues, is that it should be the other way around. First, we develop a framework, and any resolution should be accompanied by steps for what happens next. In our case, nothing happens next, which I find a bit strange. Indre Izokaite Valuje, an international law expert from Vilnius University, acknowledges that this terrorism designation does indeed lack a legal framework in Europe. Yet she stresses that the more it's used, the sooner an accompanying legal mechanism will be developed. What, asks Ginu Radias, might such a legal mechanism look like? Among the elements that should follow are sanctions, broader packages of sanctions, and a wider circle of people they could apply to. If we take the example of US or Canadian doctrine, we can also talk about restrictions in the field of trade, on economic activity, in other words, on economic relations between a business entity and Russia as a terrorist state. It would also allow measures to be taken to put frozen assets toward rebuilding Ukraine in the context of reparations, or perhaps more realistically, to use them in cases against individuals, such as civil claims for injuries or loss of homes. As football fever took hold across the block this week, A debate on the 2022 FIFA World Cup and the human rights situation in Qatar also took place in Strasbourg on Monday. Exactly nine years ago, the European Parliament passed a resolution expressing its concerns over the plight of migrant workers in Qatar and calling on FIFA to send a clear and strong message to Qatar as the nation began preparations to host the World Cup, a call that apparently went unheeded given everything that's come to light. Speaking to Polski Radio... Polish MEP and former Poland international Tomasz Frankowski calls for lessons to finally be learned. FIFA has introduced new human rights requirements. They were first implemented for the organization of the 2026 World Cup in the USA, Canada and Mexico. As a former professional footballer, I hope that the world of sport and politics will learn from these championships and that future sporting events will take place with full respect for human rights. While a number of European teams have taken a stand against FIFA's repression of the One Love campaign, perhaps one of the most unexpected and emotional political statements made in Qatar this week was the Iranian team's stoic silence during their national anthem. The courage and conviction of these sportsmen, 
who were protesting against the Iranian government's violent crackdown on demonstrators, raised uncomfortable questions in the corridors of Strasbourg. Has the EU taken enough of a stand on Iran itself? This question was debated by MEPs on Tuesday. AMS also sought the views of politicians in Germany. For Bijan Sarai, Secretary General of Germany's Liberal FDP, the answer is no. Firstly, it took Europe a long time to react. The first proposals, the first personal sanctions were, in my view, symbolic. Now they are going in the right direction. Now the proposals are becoming more concrete. But from my point of view, this is not enough. In my view, further steps must be taken. Above all, one thing must be very clear. The Revolutionary Guards must be added to the EU's terror list. I don't understand what we're waiting for here. And another thing, the nuclear agreement, the negotiations with Iran, must come to an end. In such a situation, Europe cannot negotiate with a regime that has no legitimacy among its own people. With the number of arrivals in the EU having increased dramatically this year, especially via the central Mediterranean route, Another subject debated in the Parliament this week was the need for a more effective pan-European solution for asylum and migration. Slovenian Socialist MEP Matias Nemets, who took part in Wednesday's debate, does not believe that an individual's chances of admission should depend on the mercy of one state or another. He is calling, says RTV Slovenia, for a new European asylum and migration policy based on solidarity and justice. It is true that Europe cannot take all of the world's refugees, but it must shoulder its share of the responsibility. Two days earlier, the Commission had presented an action plan in response to the increasing influx of migrants. The new plan involved working with external partners, coordinating action on search and rescue operations at sea, and strengthening the voluntary solidarity mechanism agreed by 18 member states back in June. Some 5 million Ukrainians have relocated to the EU indefinitely since the events of March 2022. Although they have generally been welcomed with open arms, this open-door policy does not necessarily extend to other migrants reaching our shores, as the recent incidents off the coasts of Italy and France have shown only too well. Lega MEP Marco Zani defends the tough stance taken by Italy, says Radio 24, claiming that Rome's hand was forced by a failure of European diplomacy. More specifically, he blames the complete failure of the voluntary solidarity mechanism. Zani's social democrat compatriot, Pietro Bartolo, is less convinced by Rome's hardline approach, although even he acknowledges that the present agreement falls short. I am hoping for a common policy so that Europe finally speaks with one voice. As things stand, everyone speaks for themselves. We did this with great success when it came to the war in Ukraine. Without a fight, we took in more than five million people and hardly anyone batted an eyelid. We provided all the tools we had and I'm proud of this. This is the Europe I want. But when, on the other hand, you turn a hostile gaze on a few thousand people, that is not good, not good at all. Even the proposals that have been put forward by the Commission still go no way towards satisfying us. Our red line is compulsory automatic relocation to all member states, as was included in the last legislature. 
EU Interior Ministers will meet on the 25th of November to discuss the Commission's proposals. Following last week's budget conciliation deal, this Monday saw European funds the focus of debate. France's Euradio asks Renew Europe MEP Fabienne Keller for a summary of the newly agreed 2023 budget. She describes it as a support budget. These choices are a political will. The will to stand beside Europeans who are being heavily penalized by the increase in energy prices. Special funds have been created to support member states and help them to finance the energy price mitigation support they have put in place. Support, as I mentioned, for the war in Ukraine, for Ukrainians, so that they can stand up to Vladimir Putin, who started this war. Support also for our industries, because one of the great lessons of COVID is that we have really de-industrialized Europe. So there are programs in place to re-industrialize. Romanian MEP Vlad Marius Botos underlines that the onus is now on the Parliament to ensure its spending conditions are met. In many parts of the EU, European-funded development projects account for a large share of public administration investment, perhaps even one of the largest shares. We, here in the European Parliament, have set out certain guidelines for the use of these funds. Digitization, sustainable development, a focus on environmental aspects and also on prioritizing renewable energy. We have included in the regulations clear conditions of transparency and the obligation to genuinely consult civil society, citizens, to ensure their interests and priorities are respected in the region. Unfortunately, there is clear evidence that these priorities are not fully understood, that some authorities are trying to keep civil society at a distance. Since we have set priorities, since we have decided here in this parliament that civil society will be involved, we are the ones who must ensure these conditions are respected even where public authorities are not used to consulting when spending public money. A lack of citizen consultation is the least of our worries in one member state, as Monday's debate on corruption and the rule of law in Hungary made clear. In September, the Commission proposed withholding 7.5 billion euros of EU funds from Hungary under the so-called conditionality regulation. Latvia's radio shares the comments of German Green member Daniel Freund, who was speaking at a press conference on Wednesday. We have a degree of corruption, including with EU funds, uh, that is not comparable with any other member state. Uh, corruption that is coordinated, organized, protected by the highest office in, in Hungary, by the Prime Minister Viktor Orban. On Thursday, a majority of MEPs passed a resolution calling on member states to adopt the measures proposed under the conditionality regulation and to lift them only once the remedial measures hashed out by Budapest and the Commission prove sustainable. That's all for this week. Join us again next week for more insight into the news as reported from around the EU.